Well, good morning again. Before I, I tell you what's been on my heart, oh, this summer something happened. Um, I've gotten older or something, but uh, I just want to give thanks. Um, thanks to the leadership of this church. I feel very privileged to be able to go to Bethel downtown, and um, it's been awesome to see the last six months. And, and hear me out. It's not like I'm, I love being indoors for so much, but um, it's been awesome to see our leadership to see Matt and Mike and Eric and our elders and just, you know, all this stuff sort of coming in. And I never felt like our church was intimidated. And I, I didn't feel like, um, it felt like they were almost giddy, which is weird. Like they were excited, like, yeah, we're trying to do this. This is going to be all, it's going to be different and it's going to be cool. And, and in my mind, I'm like, there's no way this is going to work. Like this is, come on, I'm not going to go on Facebook every week. And then I did for a while. Um, so, I mean, it shows what I know. But I was, I was really thankful for that. Um, this is, so my, I haven't been up and done something like this in a while. And it's been a long time, but it's been so long I've never used an iPad. Something like this, but I'm going to try it out. Um, make sure I'm at the right spot, too. So we've been to Bethel about five years, uh, yeah, about five years. Um, and we love it here. I, I just kind of explained why. Um, but we, we love it here. Uh, it's been huge for us. We moved to Tyler from Houston area around 11 years ago. Um, we moved to Tyler because I was going to be a junior college grad assistant, which isn't like when you get married and you have a baby that's like three months old, you don't go to your wife and go, hey, check this out. I'm going to provide and be a junior college grad assistant. But there was a plan. Um, we knew... Uh, we, we prayed about it, me and my wife, and um, we felt a calling to come hang out with college kids. And this was a way for us to uh, come to, I had been, I had, I'd played at Tyler many years before, had hair and everything, and, um, and they, I loved it here. So I wanted to come back and um, hang out with college kids. It felt like a way for us to be missionaries in a way, but they were going to come to us instead of us going to them. So it wouldn't help my, my flyer miles or anything, but it would be cool to have them come and hang out with us. And so when you're in, when you're in college coaching, there's one way to really move up. Uh, and maybe, maybe there's two, but the main way is to get a different job somewhere else. It's to, all right, we're going to be in Tyler for three years, four years. And I had this plan in my head, three or four years. And then, okay, then we're going to go to this school. And we're going to do this. Same idea. I'm still going to be working with kids. I don't mean to call college kids kids. I do it on accident. They get mad at me. Um, working with students. There we go. Um, and I was excited about it. And then about four years in, I started getting a little ticked off. You know, like, God, we came here. You know, we're doing your thing. Um, what's next? And God kind of just kept pushing doors on us. Um, me specifically. And then about, so right around the time we started coming to Bethel, it was, uh, I had a couple hearts to heart with God, where it was like, what are you doing? You know, where are you? What are you I mean, is, I know you're here. It wasn't a question of whether or not I believed in a God. It was a question or not of, did he care? Like you said, I thought he cared. You know, I, I, did he just forget about me and the whole plan that I thought we had? And um, so it was a, a tough time. And it's been really cool to be, the past three years, my heart has been slowly, and my wife's also, which is like just as cool when you can do it together like that. But both of our hearts have just been shaped into going, 
well, maybe this is it. You know, maybe this, maybe Tyler is where we're supposed to be right now. And so, and God's like, duh, like I was trying to tell you that the whole time. And so that question though, where are you, God? Are you, are you, are you here? Like, what, what have I done to deserve this? You know, and there's this, this, um, I think it's a, it sounds weird. I think it's a great question because you will get an answer, and you may not like that answer, but you will, you will get a response, and it's a really cool response. So it's going to take us uh, to Judges 6, okay? So that, that's what I was going to go look over. Um, we're going to talk about Israel. We're going to talk about Gideon. You probably hear Gideon, and you think, stud, <laughs> that guy. I know, I know some of those stories, um, and he, he, I'll say this, God, God's the stud. And so um, I'm going to go through it. It's going to be actually verses 1 through 16 in, in chapter 6. Um, I'll go a little piece by piece. Better make sure I follow my notes or who knows what's going to come out. So give a little background first. Um, Israel's had a pretty good 40 years. It's good. Like, yeah, I, and I've been here before where you, for an extended period of time, you're like, and we got this life thing figured out. <laughs> we are really doing a good job. And so then you get a little lazy, get a little comfortable. Um, you feel pretty proud of yourself when you didn't really do that much. And you just get comfortable. That's probably the best word for it. And um, The Israelites were doing that. And so um, they, they well, we'll go ahead and read verse 1 and we'll kind of get into it. Um, People of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them in the hand of Midian seven years. So after 40 years, Israel gets a little comfortable, and they're doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, if you go on to read the chapter, you'll see um, some of the evil they did. Like they had a, an altar to Baal. Um, they obviously weren't following God, weren't with him. Um, I love, though, that on this verse, it doesn't tell me the evil things they were doing, because it really doesn't matter. They were doing evil. They were, they were not in line with God. Um, the same God that well, has done a lot for them. Um, so he handed them over to, to the Midianites for seven years. Um, and now I'm going to read what the Midianites did, basically, um, and why that made life pretty uncomfortable for the Israelites. Uh, verse 2 through 5, And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with livestock in their tent and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. So it's getting uncomfortable for the Israelites, right? Um, what's interesting about the Midianites, this is, so to be very honest, I was lucky enough to grow up in a, a home that uh, followed Christ, and you go to church, and Midianites, Midianites is one of those names you hear, and you're like, ah, uh, not the Israelites. So there must be like the other side, good and bad. Um, and so, but I didn't know a ton about them and started looking into it more, um, I, I did know that it, the Midianites are actually descendants of Abraham. Um, they, Abraham's wife, Sarah, dies. He remarries, has some more kids, and one of them, one of them is Midian. Um, and so it, it, these aren't people that the Israelites are like, whoa, where'd y'all come from? I didn't even know y'all were here. Like, they, they've known them. They've also known them through some other stories. 
um, through Moses and just through the process of getting to Canaan, um, they knew the Midianites. Um, and so Midianites at this stage obviously are kind of wanderers, um, kind of nomads where they're going around and, um, and just getting what they can. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're not providing for themselves, I guess is a way of putting it, unless it's like their strength, maybe that. But they, they are looking to um, come up against the Israelites and gimme, gimme, gimme. You know, my first picture when I, when I started studying this again was, uh, I wasn't bullied a lot, but I got enough bullying where it was like, hey, give me your lunch money and stuff like that. And so that, that's what I kind of pictured in a, in a, in a funny way. But... Um, so the Midianites come in, they're like locust. I mean, locust, ugh, this is just a bad animal. I do not like locusts. Like, they, they, they ruin crops. Um, not, I don't have any crops, um, but I do have um, a backyard. And so we have cicadas that come back here, out here this time of year. I consider that a locust. I consider it something that I do not like a lot. And... Ugh. Um, so anyways, the, these, these guys come in like locusts. They have... They're camels to feed also and to drink. And so uncomfortable that the Israelites go into the mountains to live. Like, if you make me leave my house, um, I'm pretty uncomfortable. Like, I love, I love being in my house. And so um, if you make me leave and go live in the mountains, it's not, a, it's not a great thing. So all this is happening. It's tough. And then the Israelites finally get broken down, which is like, yes, okay, good. Um, verse 6, and Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Thank you. I, mean, I don't know how long it takes them. I, I don't know if it's, I mean, it says it's seven years that uh, the hand of Midian was over them, but you don't know. I wonder how long they're in the caves, if it's like a few weeks or if it's a couple years. Um, either way, doesn't it always take too long? It feels, it feels like the last thing I always do is saying, oh, wait, <laughs> he's here to help me and provide. And so um, they finally did that. They cry out to him, um, and God and I'll say this real fast. What a feeling that is. And I think um, believers of Christ understand it more than anybody. But I think every human experiences it, where you're brought to a point where you are so low that you realize, I can do nothing. Like, I can do that. And it's the worst feeling in the world, and it's the best feeling in the world. It is, it's hard to explain. I think if you've been through it, you get it. But when you're, when you're going through that stage of, this is so much pain, I give up. Like it's finally you let go and go, oh, just, just do it, just go, right? And it's, just, it's this great feeling of just letting everything go and this peace that comes. Um, and so that's what Israel, their heart's changing. Um, they're not gonna be as lazy, hopefully, and, and comfortable. They're looking again to God. Um, and so God hears them right away. Verses, I'm gonna read seven through 10 here. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you did not obey my voice. And so... I don't know why this prophet's not named. I think it's kind of interesting, but that's all I can say about that. Um, but it, I guess it's more about the message. I mean, what I, one thing I, I notice here is God isn't just, he doesn't hear him. 
They're broken. They're saying, God, we need your help. But he doesn't hear them and come in and just like, boom, and like punch some people and like save the day. Instead, he reminds them, this is who I am. I'm the same God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. You came to Canaan. You faced about 20 different obstacles, and we, we went through it together. And then you had 40 good years, and here, here we are. We're kind of at square one again. Um, and I don't say it like that where I don't think God's up there saying, what's your deal? You know, I mean, he, he's, he's not surprised by it because he's God. He understands what's going to come. He just knows, I think there's an understanding of how, how the growth is going to go, how the people are going to learn. Um, and so it's also, I'm not even going to say that. Let's move on. That's going to go too far. I was going on a rabbit trail there for a second. I had to pump the brakes. Um, but in the end of verse 6, the main problem is that they didn't obey his voice. They didn't remember his voice. Um, and so I, I don't think it's a matter of just getting comfortable and forgetting. And we've all been there where you've been comfortable and you kind of feel like you do on your own. So to recap that part before we meet Gideon, Israel's doing good, gone away. Um, they've been reminded of who God is now. And so now that they, their heart's been changed, they've been reminded of who God is, now what? So then you meet Gideon. And so, um, oh man, I just, I, this is a fun story for me. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sarcastic. So I, I read this in a certain way, where some of y'all might not. You may read it more matter of fact. And when I read this, the conversation between him and the Lord is just like, Hilarious, But anyway, I'll tell you what I mean. Um, so verse 11, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite. If I'm pronouncing any of those wrong, sorry. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites, Midianites. So there's a lot to this sentence that I think is, is interesting. Um, I'll, I'll read verse 12 too, though, before I get into it. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So let me paint the picture for you. Um, a terebinth is a tree. You know, it's like a, I've never seen one, but I consider it like an oak tree type thing. And so here comes the angel of the Lord, and he's resting. He's like basically hanging out in the shade. It's what I picture. He's hanging out in the shade. And uh, here is Gideon, and he's in a wine press. I've never seen a wine press from back then. I don't know how people... I looked it up, and people had pictures of it. I don't know if they knew exactly what it looked like, but I envisioned like, kind of a hole in the ground, um, maybe, maybe four or five, six feet deep, and he's, he's working in there, and it's not for wheat, obviously. It's to help with the wine, right? You may be stomping on grapes and stuff or rolling it out, and so um, I'm not a wine, wine person either. You can tell. Um, but so he's in there doing the wheat, and you know that's not comfortable. I mean, it looks just, I, I consider it probably pretty Pathetic's a strong word, but it, maybe that's right. You know, he's, he's, he's hiding and working on the wheat. And maybe, like, I can imagine picking up over the hole because no one's coming. I'm still working. And, you know, he's sweating probably. And, this, and the Lord shows up under this tree. And the first thing the Lord says is, I'm with you. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And I'm not thinking, what a stud in the wine press. You know, this guy's really. Like, I, I imagine, and I imagine the Lord saying this in a way where, um, he kind of, I don't know, I feel like he kind of just says, hey, mighty man of valor, look, look how strong you are, you know? And, and, uh, and Gideon's response is why I think that. I think Gideon responds, not rude, but pretty strong. Um, so his response in, in verse 13 
Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. So it's, it's, I almost get this attitude from Gideon where he's like, oh yeah, I'm a man of valor. Well, where have you been? Maybe I'd be more uh, in tune to be a man of valor if you were here. You know, here we are in the middle of the hand of, of Midian. And, um, and we, he, obviously he was just reminded of, of all the great things God had done for them in the past. Um, so that's on his heart. And even before he had this conversation, maybe he heard those things from the, the unnamed prophet earlier and said, well, that's, that's true. That's great. So what about now? Where is he now? And it's, like I said earlier, it's not a question of, does that God exist? It's, what about me? Which, oh, which is a question I ask all the time. What a selfish question. Um, so that's what he's saying. What about me? And then verse 14, it's awesome. This is the answer to the question. And the answer doesn't even need words. It's, and then the Lord turned to him. And it was like, ah. Oh. Like when you read that, it's like, mm, yeah. And so it's, it's, a, uh, it's a moment where you know some stuff's gonna, gonna start rolling. So the Lord turned to him. Feel it right away. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And so right away, he says, the might of yours. Um, and I think that there's some of that, that edge that Gideon may have had when he responded to Jesus or to the Lord, he, he's, he's saying, that's, that's it. There's the fire. You have some might there. Um, go and use that and, and lead the people. Um, and then he says, do not I send you. Remember that. He said it once there. Verse 15, and he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So, He's weak, like, which is the best, you know, it's the best, I mean, it's, uh, this is the story of God, you know, he uses weak men to, to show how strong he is, and so, um, I, I, I love that he, he has to admit that, he has to admit that, that he is, my clan is the weakest, I'm the least in my father's house, and then the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man, so three times, Verse 12, 14, and 16, the God assures him, I'm going to be with you. If you look at verse 12, he says at the end, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Verse 14, at the end, he says, do not I send you. And then verse 16, he says, I will be with you. You shall strike down the Midianites as one man. And it's, that, that, that's, that's the whole point. Is he, he was, he's a weak man. It's going to be, show how strong God is. And he does. He goes on. Um, if you don't, I'm not going to go into the whole story of Gideon, but you know, he goes on to destroy that, that altar of Baal I was talking about. Him, he, he gathers together the troops of Israel, um, and they have this, this army, this man army, and then God breaks it down to 300, and they, and they go to battle that way, and they're just, it's, uh, it's victorious. God's shown how um, strong he is. And so he does, does he end up saying mighty man of valor? Is it foreshadowing? Maybe. Maybe it's a foreshadowing of who Gideon would be. Maybe he's poking the bear and trying to make him you know, wake up and see um, how strong God is through him. Um, but I think it's a really cool story to see how the Israelites go from comfortable, go from comfortable to um, uncomfortable to realizing I need God and then seeing a man step up 
because God is going to be shown. Um, I'm, I'm going to finish with, this, with, a, with my story um, a little bit. And you may not know me that well besides what I've told you this morning. Um, but I'm going to give you a piece of my story. The first time I went through that process, whew, that could have been dangerous. The first time I went through the process of God um, showing me who, how, how weak or strong, however you want to put it, I really am, and my dependence on him. And then I'm, I'm going to hopefully um, reiterate that into today's world. Um, so my story, uh, like I said, I grew up in a, a, a home that uh, went to church, and we, we love Christ, and um, I, I, I've, I feel very lucky to how I grew up. Um, yeah, is that, is basically, I grew up in the Katy area outside of Houston, uh, and one Thanksgiving, I was 14 years old. I'll paint a great picture for you. Um, I really was into grunge rock at the time, and I had long hair. I know, it's unreal. But I had long hair tucked behind the ears because my heroes had long hair. Um, they had long hair, and I wanted to look grunge like them. Mine did not look grunge. Mine looked more like Fabio type, like wavy and weird. I don't know. I compared myself to Fabio. <laughs> but um, there's, there's a picture for you. So anyways, I, I'm, I'm a thin 14-year-old, almost 15. We're going to drive to Amarillo from Houston to see my grandparents. And um, that's a long drive. And so we go for Thanksgiving, big hoorah. Um, I start seeing some symptoms there, but coming back, it became really obvious. I had to go to the restroom about every hour, if not more often. And I was drinking Gatorades like it was just going out of style. Like I was drinking tons of Gatorade. Um, got home, my mom was like, well, we need to get you checked out. So I went to the doctor, um, got some blood work done. And then uh, next day, she picked me up from school. It may have been later that day. Sometime soon, we went to that. Uh, she came and picked me up. Went to the hospital, Children's Hospital in Houston. They sit me, sit us down in the conference room, look at me in the eye, and go, "Man, you got type one diabetes." And I was 14. I didn't know what that was. All I knew was there was a girl in sixth grade who had type one diabetes, and she got to eat a snack whenever she wanted. And so, in my mind, I was thinking, "Well, I know, I know diet's going to change." And when I was 14, diet didn't exist. And so it was just whatever was in front of me. So, um, okay, so I start, you know, so it's a lot to just process. I was in the hospital for a while, not a, like, you know, day, day and a half, and it was like a crash course. This is what you have now. This is what you're going to deal with the rest of your life, and this is how you take care of it. Okay, so um, went through that, went home, and the next six months is learning how to do it, learning how to take insulin, when to take insulin, how often to check my blood sugar, don't hide snacks from my parents anymore. Um, yeah, that became a trouble thing. Um, but it was six months, and it was the diabetes was tough, but then it was the other side, there was a, a spiritual side to it that I was really struggling with. And what it was is I was asking the same thing the Israelites were asking, or that Gideon asked, excuse me, where are you, God? Like, what? Like, all, they, all the doctors told me was like, was like, what did I do wrong? Like, what, did I eat something bad once? Did I, no, you just got diabetes, man. What? Like, okay, well then, so I start searching for answers from God. What, what did I do? Was it that one time? You know, you start thinking back and, okay. And then I never really heard an answer. I, I feel like I could never get something back. No one could tell me why. You know, and I remember a couple times in my room just breaking down. Like, you know, you have a low blood sugar, high blood sugar. And I'm just, man, what is this? Like, this, 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 isn't, this isn't love. That's my first, this is not love. This, and, and my whole life I've been taught how, how great my God is, and my parents tell me their stories and how great he is, and I'm sitting there honestly wondering, where is it? And so I ended up going to a camp that summer 
um, actually the same camp I met my wife at, but um, we, uh, I went there, and uh, there was a, a volunteer high school program that you could do, and I went there, and it was there that I read Isaiah 43 for the first time, like they're a real, mm, like, okay, I'm starting, it's starting to hit me a little differently, and that's when my world got flipped. Um, I'm going to read it real fast. Uh, it's just a film. I'm not reading the whole chapter. Just the first three verses, really, that I want to go into. Um, but now this says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, or Dash, is the way I started reading it, he who created you, Dash, and he who formed you, Dash, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And so I read that, and the first thing I noticed was it says, when you pass through the waters, and when you walk through the fire. I was like, okay, so I'm going to go through this stuff. Okay, so that, that's, that's what my brain's thinking diabetes still. Okay, I'm going through that fire and through that water right now. God knew this was going to happen. Okay, so God, God knew um, that I was going to be dealt that. And um, it didn't make the other pieces of that verse any different. He was still the Lord my God. And he's still my Savior. And I was like, well, if he's that, and he knew I was going to get that, then there must be a reason. You know, there must be a reason here. And, and I, then I started realizing, well, the reason is... is uh, I can feel him with me when I'm asking this question, where are you, right? Where are you? What are you? And it wasn't a, and God laid it on my heart. I'm not going to heal you, man. Maybe one day. I don't know. I'm not going to tell science what to do. But I'm, I'm not here to heal you from diabetes. I'm here to hear your heart, and I'm here to make that right. You are a broken man, and we are going to get us back on the same page, right? And so then I, I, I started to think, man, is diabetes the best gift I've ever gotten? And it is. It's it, which is the oddest thing to tell anybody. Like, if I start a conversation that way, they're like, hey, man, sorry about your diabetes. I'm like, it's the best thing ever. And they're like, what? And I'm like, no, it's not because I love pricking my finger and, and changing my insulin pump and wearing a sensor. No, I don't want to do all that. That's kind of annoying. But it, what it does is every, I could, couldn't say every time, so many times I have issues and I'm brought back to that same place. When I ask myself, why do I have this? And God says, because I love you, man. Because I wanted you to remember that moment when you were 14 every time. And so my whole life, I'm sorry if y'all don't have diabetes. If you do, I'm with you. But my, my whole life, I get to look back at that moment and be like, oh, God is love. And there it is. And he told me he was going to be there. Um, I, 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 this is the, the reason. So that was the first step. And then the second step was God saying, now that you know this, Tell people, man. Tell other diabetics. Tell other people going through stuff. And so um, it's, been a, it's been awesome to be able to, the few moments I've gotten to, to speak about it, um, just to be able to see him just do stuff. You know? And I'm kind of this vessel with an insulin pump. Um, and so it's been really cool. In that same way, this here's my transition to today. In that same way, it, the past couple weeks as I've been thinking about coming up here and talking to you guys the main thing I've heard about the last six months is, oh, when is 2020 going to be over? <laughs> Can we get through this? Like, in, I don't know what happens in 2021. If like it magically just, oh, like it, it goes away. But has anybody ever thought about this being a gift? Have you ever thought about that? You ever thought about 
what if, is that odd? COVID-19, the gift God gave us to come back? Is that the oddest thing? Like, it just, it just dawned on my heart this, this week. That, man, what if the, the social unrest that we have is really a gift? It's not this awkwardness that I don't know, even know what to say half the time. But instead, it's a moment where I don't know what to say, so I'm going to talk about God. I'm going to talk about what I do know. And I mean, this, this could be a... <laughs> we're big into to, uh, Hamilton right now. Um, it's, yeah, I think everybody's going through a phase. But... Um, they have several songs in there that talks about we're living in history and they're dancing around as they're saying it. This is it though. This is too. This is a big part of history right now, and this is huge. Um, and I think it is. We're gonna, my, my prayer is that we look back. And I've asked this. I had a conversation this morning. I went to walk with my dog, and I saw a guy who said this. And he goes, "It'll be interesting in 50 years what they, what they say about today." And my thought, because I knew I was going to preach about this, I was like, "What if they're saying like, hmm?" People started changing their mind a little bit, who God is. So I think that's, that's the issue, right? Um, COVID-19, politics is not the issue. It's people's hearts. And so this might be the time that we, we get people to notice that this is, this is when everything turns on its head. We're weak. We're a weak nation, and I want to love a strong God. And so y'all pray with me real fast. Um, I'm going to pray, and then Mike's going to come up, and we're going to do some communion, I believe. And so y'all pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for who you are, and I'm thankful, for, I'm thankful for me being able to admit that I'm not the strongest, that I'm weak. I thank you for your love, for you holding us when we need you. And even when we don't thank you, we need you, that you continue to hold us. Be with us, God. Continue to bless us and help us take those blessings and help, help people see you. Amen.